It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Kyle. Daniel and Matt are here. Hello. Hey, guys. Boys, champions been crowned. The St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. How do you feel about it? Well, I'm kind of feeling the Blues today, Kyle. Yeah, as I said when we were watching the game, I guess they're just going to hand out cups to anybody these days. Cause <laughs> no, I... no, no. Random teams. <laughs> this is the quote Matt Bain. They just handing the cup out to random teams nowadays. Yeah, I was uh, rooting for the uh, Bruins, obviously, in this series. So it was quite interesting that the Blues have captured the Stanley Cup for the first time in their rather historic franchise nowadays. So good on them to finally reach the ultimate goal of the Stanley Cup. One of the best things I saw, like, I guess, post-game reactions was somebody playing Gloria on a picture of Brad Marchand crying. Yeah. yeah it was like overlaid. It was the most glorious thing ever. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of memes. I saw the one with Michael Scott where he's got the boom box and he yeah, plays it through the speakers. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, it was in my head all for like a day or two after the uh, the Game 7 because that was what was going on over and over on the GIF. So it's been uh, quite the earworm lately. Ironically, my coworker who is a um, from the New England area was not at work yesterday because <laughs> it was his work from home day. So I didn't get a chance to actually like talk to him to about the game. And so I saw him this morning. I came in. I said, hey, man, did you watch the game? And he goes, I turned it off after the fourth goal. Uh, I mean, it, it it felt like it was over after the second goal, really. I mean, you, you kind of could see the writing on the wall. St. Louis was going to play trap. They're going to muddy up the neutral zone, and it was going to be hard for them the rest of the night. But let me tell you, I mean, Boston came out firing in this game. Yeah, they did. Absolutely firing. It was just amazing to watch because seeing after the Blues squandered their chance to win game six at home, and you, you set up for... Honestly, you know, just talking about it, I'm literally getting chills right now. A Game 7 Stanley Cup Final that not only fans enjoy, but players enjoy. And you got to think of all the emotions going into it. You know, this is it. One winner, one's going home. And uh, Chelsea was actually talking about this after the game. She was like, you could just see the weight come off the Blues and they won. We were delayed in getting to actually watch the game, so we had it on record. So when <laughs> we actually got back from where we were at, we watched the game. The three of us did together, and we actually got to the end of it right as when they were actually given the cup out. So we caught up to that real time, and which was great, skipping the commercial breaks and stuff. But still, you could, like she said, you could see the weight come off the blue shoulders, knowing that they have finally, for the first time in their history, after coming so close numerous times, to actually get the cup. It certainly is a much better result since the last time when they were in the cup because that was against Boston as well, and that's when they got swept and the famous Bobby Orr goal happened in that series. So Yeah, probably the most iconic yeah. picture of all time. Yeah, I, I mean, if if I think iconic pictures for the NHL, that is probably at the top of my list. Um, but, yeah, I, we were on a strict media embargo uh, till, till we reached the – caught up point in the show and it was funny because like i think in the first we were like oh, oh let's look up shots on goal because you know M- nbc they don't put that on the screen and we were like nope can't do that so uh it was a really fun night for us trying to get caught up and finally watching the uh the last game all together and uh it was a good ribbing because you know kyle was pulling for st louis and also matt was going for boston i was kind of in the middle i was leaning more towards boston but it was good to get a get a nice get a nice rising out of matt every now and then because uh he was singing the blues after the first period let me tell you yeah i'll have to say after what was it game five perhaps when Boston lost, there was a meme made of this guy in the stands that was giving the middle finger to Tarasenko and uh, his ilk as they were going to the dressing room. And I may or may not still have the middle finger guy uh, with a Boston jersey as my background image uh, currently. So Pure defiance from Matt. Yes, indeed. Well, I definitely enjoyed giving you a hard time because I know that night how much you were just rooting for the Bruins. Yeah, I had my celebration picked out and everything if they had won. What was your celebration? I was going to take the ball of water drop to my knees on the floor and, and just dump it all over my head like I just won the cup. But sadly... In my upstairs? Yeah. 
I mean, controlled. <laughs> I was like, you know, I wasn't going to like let her rip. I, I was, was just, like, wow. but you have to get the point. <laughs> just now, like the end of the bottle. He's like spraying <laughs> it like a bottle of champagne or something. Did you run this past your wife? No, no. It's got to be spontaneous in the moment here. We got some hockey action going on. Now, one thing I was noticing is the difference in celebrations, because if you didn't know, the NBA finals ended last night with the Toronto Raptors getting their first NBA title. And when celebrations happened, I didn't know this. So NBA finals, they allow the owner to be the first person to hoist their cup. Well, their equivalent of a cup, their trophy. The owner ho- hoists it, and then it goes to the actual players. Whereas the NHL goes straight to the players. Captain hoists it first, then passes it around. And the owner is actually one of the last people to actually ho- hoist it up. Yeah, I, I mean, either tradition is quite fine, but I, I honestly think it should go to the captain first. He's, oh, he's yeah. like your heartbeat of the team. And for me... I, I go back to Ovi last year. Like, that was such an iconic moment. That was so, like, I, I'm going to remember him lifting the cup, like, years yeah. to come because it was such a special moment for him and NHL. And there's people like that that are captains that haven't won before. And then when you finally see them hoisting the cup, it's going to be a surreal moment. It would be like if the Preds won Pekka hosting, hoisting the cup. Like, he's not our captain, but... Obviously, he's never won a cup before. He's well deserving of one. Like it's people like that that you're super excited for. And there were so many stories with the Blues team. Obviously, a very fairy tale like story from coming dead last in the league uh, in Jan or basically at the end of December and turning it on. By the way, they had a less than ten percent chance to make the playoffs, and they end up winning it all. Yeah, first team. I think the stat is in the open era that went from last to winning the cup. 250 to 1 odds. Uh, there was actually a story of a, a man placing a $400 bet. He won $100,000 wow. Wednesday night yeah. after that payout. Uh, another coworker was telling about that, and I was like, man. I was like, that's a that was a just a genius bet, knowing that you know he's going to like, well, I'm going to lose $400, but if this happens, I get hundred k. Yeah, I got 400 just barely. Let's just... Put it on it and see what happens. Let it roll. And sure enough, he's $100,000 richer. Kind of like uh, you know, last year, Vegas was like 200 to 1 odds to to win, and they made it to the finals. So it kind of seems to be the uh, the long odds seem to be the favorite these days. So good on the little guys. But to be fair, Vegas's team was way more better put together. Oh, yeah. They had, they had uh, basically their pick from the draft lottery. So it, it – uh, it's quite different for expansion teams nowadays. I'll put it like that. And it'll be curious to see what Seattle does when this expansion comes to them because they're going to have basically the same rules. It's going to be very interesting going to the draft because whenever the Vegas draft happened, everybody said their roster was a little too stacked. So in the future, they might rein that in a little bit. But the argument could be made that Seattle's paying even more money than Vegas did to enter the league. So they might have a case to say they deserve at least that much or better odds. I honestly think, though, GMs learned their lesson from the last time, and they're kind of hedging their bets and preparing a little better for that Seattle expansion draft. Well, to be fair, a lot of the GMs were like, hey, we need to get rid of players, so we're going to keep the players we want, and we're going to take those players that we think we might need to kind of dump their cap just a bit over the Vegas taking them. And GM GM did a great job of just pulling those in and putting that team together and showing that, you know, just because we're a first-year team doesn't mean we don't have a chance of making the Cup, so... Like we all agreed on, be very interested and see what Seattle does going into when they finally get into the league. But let's go back over to the Blues. So if I was to tell you this team after January 7th was going to go 29-9-5, what would you say? Uh, I'd be really shocked considering their record at the time. But, um, I mean, we got to kind of look at the timeline for the Blues here too and try to understand what was going on. Because if you think about it, in November, they actually fired Mike Yo. Clean house. Let's get some new fresh people in here. That's when they started, you know, the the new roster. That's what I'm going to call it anyways. And, and it's funny because it, it seemed more of like an old school type of hockey. Definitely more defensive minded, um, heavy forechecking. Um, but they come in, they start working towards it. And next thing you know, turn of the year, things started looking up. But how much it has to do with them getting their new victory song at Gloria? So, and they got a new team dog. Yes. So the funny part is, I, I we were both talking about this because I wanted to know when the tradition started for this. And it was actually on January the 6th. So we're not superstitious, but we might be a little stitious because after this point, 
They were pretty good. And uh, uh, I don't know. They had that and the team dog going for them for sure. And the addition of one key player, Jordan Winnington, I'm going to call him. Which is just insane that this kid, because he is a kid, was a fourth-string goalie in the organization playing with the San Antonio Rampage. Circumstances lead him getting called up, and he basically becomes the star player in the league, basically. Aside from that, let's go back a moment about the coaching change. We mentioned last week with Michael how we want to see these results pretty fast in the Preds organization. And whenever you are starting to slack in an area, you implement a plan, you want to see change happen, and the Blues had to do that. So they did that with their coaching staff, and that also speaks a little bit to the point that their roster was pretty much the same. They they got a they got an acquisition or two, but we mentioned how the Preds, uh, elite players come into our system and kind of fall short. Well, maybe the roster isn't the problem. Maybe the system's the problem. So perhaps when Mike Yo left, new coach comes in, implements his system, same players, all of a sudden went from last to first. And that goes to show you how much difference, how much really the the coach has an impact in this game. And that's not just on, on Jordan Bennington's shoulders. Yeah, I do also find it ironic that Bennington helped Boston in, I think it was the minor league team too so he actually was on Boston's minor league team before coming back over to the Blues and then now just destroys them in a game seven situation in Boston I mean that that you can't make stories like this up and watching him play that game seven it was like this kid is letting nothing get past him the entire night he had excellent puck tracking skills no matter what Boston tried it was like he swallowed this puck up only one puck got past him but Tuka Rask looked terrible, to be honest. Well, if you're referring to Game 7, the the first period, he only had like six shots against the whole period or something. So Two scoring chances. The first two scoring chances went in, by the way. Yeah. That was painful. So you went like 10 minutes sitting there cold without any kind of workout or any, you know, any practice shot, so to speak. So I don't know if it was just something being cold because he has been hot. He's been consistent. You can say the same thing about Bennington. It was really a goalie series, and... Uh, I was I have been remarked at, at how cold his ice Bennington seems. He's got ice in his veins. He's very calm and collected. A lot of times these rookies are very emotional in such overbearing situations. You're talking about the playoffs. You're talking about the finals. A lot of times that pressure gets to him. Uh, Bennington it did not. And I don't know what the story with Rask was because Rask is a veteran. He's been here time and time again, and he has been putting up the consistent numbers. So I don't know if it was a fluke because especially in that first period, Boston was just dominating on the, in the shots category. They were all the ice seemed tilted there in the offensive zone, and then before you know it, the Blues come over with their one shot against and get a goal, and then they get another goal, and it was it was almost laughable because Boston is just dominating, and then the Blues just happen to get a goal or two. It seems like a fluke. It's just crazy. Well, let's look at Bennington's track record just leading up into it. So he was twenty four five and one with a 1.89 goals against average, 0.927 save percentage, five shutouts in only 32 regular season games with only 30 starts. Um, quite impressive, actually. Those are Vesna numbers, but you know, obviously you need about, as we've said before, about 50 starts to be in the Vesna category. But, I mean, that's pretty crazy. After January the 7th, the Blues went 29-9-5. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's incredible stats for him. Well, we know he's not going to be eligible for the Vesna, but he is going to be eligible for the Calder Trophy, which, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's given to the NHL Rookie of the Year, and I think he's going to get it. I mean, based off these stats alone, I, I don't see how he can't. And I know it's regular season only, but also <laughs> 10 of his 16 playoff wins came on the road. He's 10-3 and three on the road, 2.17 goals against with a .92 five save percentage and a shutout. I, I mean, it's it's super impressive. And you have to think, that record ties him for the best postseason by any goalie in an NHL season. Plus, his record equals Martin Brodeur, who have, who went 10-1 in 95, and then 10-2 in 2000 with the New Jersey Devils. It's not bad. Jonathan Quick, who went 10-1 in 2012 with the Kings. Braden Holby, who went 10-3 with the Caps in 2018. And then Mika Kippersoff went 10-4 and 4 with the Flames. I mean, this is great company to be in. Yeah, fourth rookie goalie ever to win a Game 7 in a cup final. Too. Yeah. So, I, Ice Water, I think it's a track record of having been tested at least through January. So, uh, I, I don't think it was just a fluke that he was here. Yeah, I'll have to say, 
it depend, didn't matter which team you're rooting for, that, that is a good story. The Blues get their first uh, cup in their franchise history, but between the likes of uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Bennington and the story from last to here, it's really turned out to be a, quite a good story for uh, the hockey fan and the NHL overall. We got to think also Ryan O'Reilly got the Conn Smythe. He was first in their voting, and Jordan Bennington was second. What do you think would have happened if Jordan Bennington had got the Conn Smythe over Ryan O'Reilly? Well, we were kind of talking about this, you know, after the game. Uh, it's very interesting. I thought the voting was going to be either between Rask or Bennington. And I thought it was probably, it could possibly be Rask even if the Bruins lose. But that seemed to be kind of a rare occurrence that they'd give the consummate to the losing team. So it really likely comes down to who wins. And they voted, I believe it was 10 minutes before the game was over. So at that point, they already knew who the winner was going to be. And that's what really made the determining factor uh, that it was going to be a player from the Blues. Now, what's interesting is the how much Ryan O'Reilly got more votes than what I thought he would have. I know he's got a couple records and we'll get to it. But I think it was actually his goal during this game that really cemented that he's going to be the guy to get it over Bennington. There was only one other player that had a six-game point streak in the history of the Stanley Cup Final. And who was that, Matt? Yes, Mark freaking Messier, baby. Yeah, he joined some elite company. And he also broke another stat, too. What was that stat? Yeah, in addition to that, he also is the first player to score a goal in four straight finals games since Wayne Gretzky. So that's pretty good company. Mark between Messier Mark Messier and, and, Wayne, and Wayne Gretzky, who would have known that Ryan O'Reilly's putting up those kinds of numbers and stats? That's quite impressive, and and what a time to shine for sure. And let's not forget that Jay Bowmister also got his own impressive stat record. He is the 29th member now of the Triple Gold Club, and he's the 12th Canadian to be in it. And what that means by the Triple Gold Club is he has won gold at the International Hockey Federation Worlds in 2004. He got Olympic gold in 2014, and now he's got the Stanley Cup. Yeah, wow, I actually didn't know that, so that's very impressive. I, I love it when players can achieve that. What an awesome thing to say. I mean, you, you can say you won the Cup, but to be in a club that there's only 29 members yeah. of, and on top of it, he represented his country in two of them, so you know he's got to be like on top of the world right now. He's basically achieved all the major pinnacles in hockey. Yeah, actually, I saw a quote and a, and a photo of this. Uh, it was Ryan O'Reilly embracing Bolmeister after the game, and and he quoted uh, as saying that if it wasn't for Bolmeister, I wouldn't be the player I am. So he obviously has had quite an influence on on everybody around him. He's such a great guy and a great player. Yeah, there there was just so many storytelling lines essentially associated with this Blues team. I mean, Tyler Bozak also was quoted, you know, at the beginning of the year, and this is July third in twenty eighteen. I want to win a cup. That's why I signed with the St. Louis Blues. And then here enough, he, he's here hoisting the cup at the end. I mean, like, you can't make some of this stuff up. I, I mean, it's it's a very fairy tale like Cinderella story for the St. Louis Blues this year. And one other thing you might have not noticed is that when uh, Petrangelo got the cup, one of the first players he handed it to was Chris Thorborn. Yes, yes. A very funny transaction happened during the live moment on TV because Matt had no idea. And he was like, who's this random person that they're just handing the cup to? So uh, give us a little background on this player. So Chris Thorborn is a player who's been around for quite a while. He's been playing with the uh, different teams since 06-07, but he spent his 18-19 season with a Rampage, which is the, uh, the San Antonio Rampage is the Blues AHL affiliate. And the Blues called him up actually towards the end of the season because his son is autistic and he needed the medical insurance the NHL provides. So they called him up, make the playoffs, and he stays with them. So the reason why he got handed the cup first, well, not necessarily first, but also with Jay Bomeister, is because tradition dictates that after the captain hoists the trophy, the player or players who have waited the longest to get a cup on that team are the next ones to hoist it. And so since he's been in the league since 06, 07, he was right there in the front of the line to get it. Yeah, I have to admit, I, I was on a bit of a, a rant after the game, after uh, the Blues won, and I might have said a few things about not knowing who that guy was. I, I've heard the name just from this series, but yeah, I didn't recognize the face. He looks a bit like a caveman, but uh, it was quite interesting <laughs> to see him get the cup. But that's a good story about them calling him up for the for the insurance for his, his child in need. So that's, that's a really good story as well. And let's also not talk about the fact that how many F-bombs were dropped oh, on live yeah. television. From uh, your boy, Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, and it was funny because I actually heard some commentary afterwards saying that 
one, it didn't really seem like it was a mistake because it kept going on. Like if one or two would have slipped in, that makes sense. And then some guys in the back, like scrambling with the soundboard, because I understand how audio works <laughs> being a musician. But I heard that at some point there's like a safe zone, like past a certain time limit where they can allow stuff because usually kids are in bed. And there is a thought around that NBC was just letting it be raw and emotional and showing all the true emotion of the moment and just let it fly. What was funny was Doc coming in afterwards after the commercial break apologizing for it in only like Doc fashion. He's like, oh, well, sorry for that colorful language and, you know, uh, trying to handle it like a pro. But um, it was pretty emotional at the end uh, when they were lifting the cup. I thought what was the most funny, I'd mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. He was one of the said players to drop some uh, extra language in there, but it was during the interview. It wasn't just the moment they lift oh, the yes. cup with the exaltation. That makes sense. But this was during the interview. He was still so excited that he dropped an F-bomb or two, but then he kept apologizing he and apologizing because he's a Canadian. He's a good Canadian. They always say sorry after everything. So yeah. it was an interesting back and forth there. So fun fact, courtesy of my uh, fiance about Canadians saying sorry. Canadians say sorry so much that there's an actual law in Canada that says saying sorry is not an admission of guilt. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're they're really sorry. Yeah, exactly. She's going to hear that and she's going to shake her head. Yeah, probably. I don't care. So let's also talk about one other thing too. So, you know, Blue's got the cup. Bruins fans are just devastated. There's emotions everywhere. The fan reaction was just something else, man. And you got it from not only um, Boston fans, you got it from Blues fans, but you got it from fans in general, especially a lot of Preds fans were just not happy with the fact that the Blues and the Bruins, and to be fair, if you're not from either one of those teams, it was kind of a meh. It's whatever. But, but yeah, a whatever meh playoff series. But one of the teams did win, and I don't know why people are so upset. about. Like, I get it. Your team didn't win, but it's like we were out in the first round. Like Preds Facebook calm down. Even Pred's Twitter got some point where you're kind of like, calm down, guys. But I told Daniel this morning, I have a quote. Oh, man. This is this is a good one. That I was surfing on Reddit. And so apparently there is a Bruins Discord channel. And somebody said, you're not going to believe what is on this. And so let me get the quote here and see what you think about this, Matt. Oh, my God. This is, this is a hot take. Quote from a Bruins fan. <laughs> I hope their fans realize it's fake. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Dude, dude, I just wait okay. for it. It's, it gets way out of hand. It legitimately doesn't count. Wow. This series will ever only be 3-3 or a Boston winner. I honestly hope the Bruins raise a banner and claim the cup no matter what happens. <laughs> They're pulling in Asheville. More people will always recognize Boston as the true 2019 champions, mark my words. Any Blues fan that supports their team after this pathetic excuse for a game deserves to be banned for life. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't call yourself a fan of hockey. If it comes to it, I will personally call out anyone I see wearing Blues champion gear. <laughs> okay. If you think this series has been fair, then you're more hopeless than the Flat Earthers. Lol. <laughs> the Blues and any fans who support them are the scum of the earth and don't deserve <laughs> to ever win the cup. And they won't. Go Bruins. Uh, yeah, I think there needs to be uh, an age limit on the things you can say. That's a little sketchy, even for the internet. Uh, like, what the favorite part is, like, he's like, it doesn't count. It's fake. Wrong. Which is funny because, you know, all those players for the Blues are going to get their name etched permanently yeah. in the ring of the cup. So, sorry, Bruins fan. It happened as much as you don't want to admit it. But, man, that is a hot take for sure hottest of the hot so hilarious we even had a local uh twitter account i won't say the name of the person because if you follow twitter you probably saw it who said quote if you're a preds fan cheering for the blues you might want to re-question your allegiance to this team that's that's ridiculous i'm like what's the point in that it's a hockey game yeah you know what if you want the preds to be in the stanley cup final next year they got to do better yeah they didn't do well they got bounced in the first round you have to accept it now go watch a hockey game and enjoy it. Who cares if it's a divisional rival? It was basically either the Bruins are getting a cup or history is going to be made with the Blues getting their first cup in their entire organizational existence. 
And that's why I was wanting the Blues to win, because I wanted to see some history made. Here, here's the deal. People get really hung up on the local team. Like, I get it. I get it. I've gone to games since five years old, okay, for the Predators. Like, if there's anyone who is a hometown fan here, it is me. Uh, I that's, that's my team. But at the same time, I can still take a step back and say, hey, my team was terrible this year. They're out, so I'm going to root for another team that's in the finals or that, like, you can still pick a side and, like, still enjoy hockey. Like, people legitimately don't enjoy hockey after their team's, like, eliminated. They, they become, like, these Scrooges, and they're like, oh, everyone just loses. They're the worst. Like, I don't understand the team. And I'm just like, just because your team got eliminated doesn't make sense. Matt, he's Red Wings fan first because that was his first team. Like, that was, <laughs> like, it... it, it it doesn't make sense. So if the Red Wings were eliminated, or AKA not in the playoffs, which has been the case for the last several years, he's still rooting for a team. It's not like he's turned into some like couch potato who's just sitting there like saying, oh, every team doesn't need to win and doesn't deserve it because my Red Wings are terrible. Yeah, honestly, I think it actually shows a little bit of immaturity on the part of the fan. And you notice the guys who say that are generally, they've been hockey fans for less than three, four years or so. They're honestly kind of showing their immaturity here because it is a bit of a Scrooge factor. If you can only root for one team, if your team doesn't make the playoffs, then you're really chintzing yourself out of the best hockey time, which is the playoffs. And if if you can't find the joy and love in your heart to watch the sport that you love, if, you, if you're only alleged to, to one team then, and you can't enjoy that, then that's just kind of a sad state of affairs. I, one of the, I actually really like that. I can enjoy watching. I don't care who's playing. I, I just love hockey. And it doesn't have to be just one team. And it's really great that you have a local team that you can latch on to and, and really identify with that team as your favorite. But at the end of the day, this is the sport I love. And so I'm going to watch it and enjoy it no matter who's playing. Yeah, it's it's like just because Matt's a Red Wing fan, he he lives in Nashville, like, and so he's obviously going to still support the local team. You know, like it's it's just a weird. I, I don't know. Fans get really like honed in on one particular team. This is it. I I like, and I understand like you need to support that team because if that's your team, then you're gonna support them till you die. Like, fully get it. I'm gonna be that way for the Preds, but uh, I I don't know. It's just it's just sad to see all these like I said, Scrooges come around during the playoffs when their team's eliminated. Because, I mean, as Matt said, this is the best hockey of the year. And you can't be happy to watch any of it because you're too busy just trying to, like, put people down. Well, I'm going to make it a little more real for that uh, Boston fan who can't quite come to terms with the fact that the Blues won the Cup this year. Uh, I'll give you a quote from Ryan O'Reilly as he was skating around with the Conn Smythe Trophy. He said, you know, looking at the names on this thing and to be a part of that group, most of these guys on here, I pretended I was as a kid. And now to be on there with them, it's an incredible feeling. So I just want to let that sink in that Ryan O'Reilly's name is going on the Con Smythe. And that's something of historical proportions there for the Blues. Yeah, there are some really good quotes overall from the series. And uh, I think some of my favorites, actually, Patrick Maroon had a really good one that said, and you're going to love this, Matt, it said, old time hockey is back screw the speed and that has been a hot topic because like the lead's getting faster everyone's yep. moving oh but like the blues come in here and play kind of like this hard nose old school you know like defensive minded for checking hockey style and they end up turning it around and winning the cup so i love that quote and i also loved the golden knights of course with about um <laughs> 10 minutes left in the game it said uh from their twitter account that the the Boston Bruins really need a good five-minute major right here. <laughs> and I was like, that's one way to rub it in and send another message that your team got completely messed over in the first round. So congratulations for the Golden Knights. That is my tweet of the night. Yeah, I missed the Vegas Knights Twitter account for sure. Very well done. Well, it's funny you're talking about the Vegas. So uh, Eric Poole, who does the um, what I call the Stanley Cup Hangover Series, uh, if you ever never heard of him, look him up on Twitter and uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. He draws uh, cartoons of all the different uh, mascots of the teams. It's funny because if you look at this picture, and I'm showing it here to the guys, I don't know if you guys can see it too well, uh, the shark has a box of Lucky Charms because literally the sharks almost lucked their way into the Stanley Cup Finals. Finals. Yeah, I, I still think my favorite has to be the bolts and the flames at the bottom, and they're holding a book called Great Expectations. And I 
laughed way too hard at that. I love I love the satire because it you know it, it's true. It's a little knock and, and it's true. But to me, the best one though is the Columbus Blue Jacket. He's in the middle of the pile, and he's smiling while crying because he got out of the first round. Just happy to be here, you know? <laughs> We're just happy to make it past the first round. Just small moral victories. And I think this would be a good time to switch over to the Preds real quick because, Daniel, didn't we hire somebody the other day? Yeah, speaking of those moral victories, um, we didn't have very many with the power play last season. Well, we happened to hire a new coach by the name of Dan Lambert. Excellent name, by the way. I, I think it's Lambert. Dan, you know, winky face. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking of Lambert's in Missouri, the home of the throne rolls. Yes, yes. I've heard of that. I didn't know that was in Missouri, though. There's there's two. There's one in Alabama and then one in Missouri. You've never hey, been there? It's home of the throw roll. If you go Dude. I thought that was a Florida. I thought it was in Florida. No. If you go there, like side conversation, because you've never apparently never been to this place, you go there and no matter where you're at in the restaurant, they will throw you a roll. Yeah, and you it's just, like hey, just, that's my kind of place. You just raise your hand and the carbs start flying towards you. Hey. <laughs> it's one of those where they're like basically if your plate gets hit, it's just part of the damage. Because they're literally like softball size rolls, and they're like just chucking them from the back of the room to you. That's the way I want to go. You go for the experience, but it's like country food, essentially. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's a good place to go, so you should visit. Anyway, after that sidebar of a, a food topic here, so we hired a new coach, Dan, for the power play. Um, so the last two seasons he spent in the WHL's Spokane Chiefs. Uh, he led the Chiefs to a 40-21-2-5 record. Uh, en route to the WL, uh, WHL's Western Conference Final. Um, to be honest, this is the most glaring stat. So, in Spokane's 15 playoff games last season, the Chiefs went 13 for 36 on the power play. 36%. Nice. By the way. Do you know how much more that was in the Preds? 36% in the playoffs because we had zero... So they are bringing him in as a legit bona fide power play specialist. Now, a lot of people gave the Predators organization um, a lot of flack for not changing the coaching staff in the offseason, getting rid of people. Well, I'm going to give the argument that this is the next best or the best solution for the problem. Not only are you bolstering your staff, but you're getting someone in here whose one job like, you have one job, and his job is to get this power play out of the dumpster. And I could not be any, any more excited to see what he's ready to do on our power play this coming season. But the question I have, though, is the team going to buy into it? Because let's be honest, Dan did watch some of the power play during the uh, playoffs, and he basically said it looked like they just didn't want to be there. Dude, he torched it. And I love someone coming in and being brutally honest because all we heard last season was we're working on it and you know we don't quite know what's going on well he came in he saw it and what did he say about i mean i think you have quotes right here matt yeah i I I got the actual quote he roasts it yeah he came in and said quote well every power play starts with a face-off even when the preds did win face-offs i found that they were under pressure right away often it seemed like guys were rushing to their position before truly winning the face-off I just felt like they were always under pressure. It started that way, and it finished that way. And then their breakouts didn't seem like they were in sync. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just giving you the short version of what I saw. At the end of the day, all that does when you don't have successful breakouts or as soon as you win the faceoff, you're under pressure, and it just creates frustration. It changes momentum for the opposition, which is the last thing you want to happen. They're details of guys just maybe forgetting or losing focus of what truly they need to do as soon as the puck is dropped. Yeah, I mean, what a great assessment, too. I, I, I mean, I could not agree anymore with that. I thought the power play was stale. I thought we could never get a cycle going. Or, you know, those lanes that magically generate and open up for other teams? Like, watching Boston's power play. It was ridiculous. I mean, they're driving in. They have all these beautiful scoring opportunities, which the Preds never have because we're like, cycle, cycle, cycle. Oh, we don't have enough time. Shoot it from the blue line, you know, like and hope we can get some sort of weird deflection or something. Like, they just weren't there for the Preds. And I'm so glad he's coming in with a new, fresh perspective and hopefully just guts the whole thing. I don't want to see anything 
that resembles last year's power play at all in the regular season. Well, I mean, we were 31st in the league, 12.9% in the regular season, and literally 0% in the playoffs. It's only able to go up from here, boys. I hope I don't regret my words and say we're actually going to be doing worse next season. At least we've made a step in the right direction. The first point is admitting you've got a problem. We've been kind of dodging that question the last couple of years. We kind of put it on the back burner. Yeah, it's a problem, but look how far we've gotten. So we'll just kind of deal with it later. And and the time has come, but at least they've got a guy in here now who's probably supposed to be a power play specialist and is going to help turn the ship around and fix it. And that's the kind of guy you need, a guy of action who's going to who's going to do just exactly that to and, and change the ship around. Yeah, um, interesting of note here, um, Dan's actually coached with Colton Sissons and Dante Fabro before. Um, he was on the same under, I think it was under 17 uh, Canadian team that Dante Fabro was on where they went to win a silver medal, actually. So he does have some experience with some of the players, too, so he has a nice rapport with them. So I think it might be a little quicker transition to get up and going than you might think. Well, I hope that is the case because I definitely don't want Kevin McCarthy or Dan Musa back on this thing. Yeah, I, I don't want to see them touch the power play with a hockey stick. Any, I, I don't, man, I, don't give me the the chart or the whiteboard on the the side of the the bench during the you know like as soon as the power play happens, they're over there trying to draw a play. No, I want Dan Lambert handling it. I want his new system. I know players at first are every time a new system is implemented. I understand there is resistance at first because it's new. We're trying to work out the kinks. So expect some rust at the beginning of the year. But what is important is that the players buy into the new system and that they're confident in it. Because he, like he said before, they didn't feel or seem confident in their breakouts or with whatever set plays they were doing. I just want to see some flow, some confidence building, some chemistry on the power play. And that's all I'm really looking for in like, probably the first 20 games, because I'm not expecting 30% out the gate and just us riding that the entire season. Uh, I would just like average numbers. And I will say that uh, David Poyle is actually looking to make more changes as well. Now, what what those will be, we don't know. Right now, going into the offseason, the Preds have $7.1 million in projected cap space. So we've got a little bit of wiggle room, but we do got some players we've got to take care of too. Come July 1st in free agency, it's going to be a frenzy. And honestly... I really hope this is the year that we finally get Duchesne. Who knows if it's going to happen? Apparently, per some of the head, you know, reporters in the NHL, that Nashville's the front runner, which I'm like shocked because he's been wanting to come to Nashville for like how many years now? So obviously, yes, we're the front runners, but I'm not going to believe it till it happens kind of a deal. Um, I think someone else will have to get shipped out because of that center wise, either a, a Benino or a. Um, Turris, obviously, are the two probably prime center candidates because actually Benino, I was looking up the other day, he actually has $4.1 million still on his contract, which is quite significant for an aging player. Um, he did contribute fairly well to the Preds this year, but that's kind of skewed considering there wasn't really much production outside of the top line. So you can take that for what it's worth. But I honestly think that you could see either um, uh, Nick or... Kyle getting shopped with a Duchesne replacement instantly because Duchesne, you're obviously looking at the eight to nine million dollar range for a center. Yeah, and I think this year will be the first in a couple years. Usually, you see David Poyle kind of composed. He's not really jumping out the gun to try to to make a trade. He's not really trigger happy. He's content with with holding what he's got because what he's got's been working, and we're on the ink on the. Uh, uh, it's going in the right direction, so to speak. But this is a situation where it definitely kind of fell off the map a little bit this time. And I think I think Adam Vinnigan uh, tweeted it as well that you're going to see some change this time. There's not going to be much reserve and holding back. It's kind of obvious we're looking to make a change for the roster this time. And uh, Vinnigan also did say regarding Kyle Turris that uh, David Poole talked to him and he said, quote, I met with Kyle last week when he got back from the IIHF Worlds where, of course, if you um, know, he scored nine points in 10 games. He said Kyle was in a much better frame of mind about his game and about himself, and that it was a very frustrating year for him, and that he's a player who's obviously proud of his career and sees himself as they do, which is Nashville, a top-line offensive producing forward. So here's hoping that, you know, you're talking about shipping Benino or Turris out. If Kyle Turris can get his game back, it, we might just see it being Benino gone. 
I don't really mind as much the roster moves. I'd be fine with landing Deshane and getting rid of Turris if, if that's what needs to happen. Or we also talked about perhaps, possibly David Poyle might have a shift in mindset and he might swap a defenseman out. We'll see. But what I'm most interested in is stopping the gaping leak in the bottom of the boat. That's the power play unit. And we saw how important it was through the first couple of games of the Stanley Cup Finals. It was all about the power play unit. And uh, and that's something the Preds definitely is the, is the biggest flaw in our game. And that's that's first on the agenda. Well, well, if you think about it, even like a even a terrible 12% power play in the Dallas series would have probably won you a game or two because the games were so tight that series. It was a defensive-minded game on both sides you're talking one point wins uh, overtime victory in game like in the final game so it's it's one of those that you feel like just getting a marginal power play you're making it to the second and third round we actually get a good power play going like 20 percent. you're talking about potentially lifting a cup okay like the the roster is there to be able to do this so obviously i think the biggest thing going into this year would be the power play for me. I want to see some of the big coaching or the some of the big player moves. It, it'll be interesting to see who we re-sign. I think Simmons is gone. I don't think he's coming back. I think Brian Boyle comes back. Um, certain things like that. There'll be some smaller moves first, but then I honestly think there's going to be one big move. And like you said, Matt, I don't know if it's going to be a defenseman moving, pulling in a, a prolific score like a dry sidle or just simply swapping out a center for another center because we do have some cap space. But come July 1st, I'm ready for free agency. I'm ready to get it ramped up, get the juices flowing. Development camp will come around, and then here enough, we'll be in September for preseason games. And then October 1st, it'll be the judgment day for the power play. (laughs) You know, it's funny you were talking about, you know, we got just, you know, development camp coming around. We got the draft coming up in a couple of weeks. Even though the hockey season is officially over now, it seems like it's not that long away until development camp and preseason starts. Even though the Preds haven't played hockey in almost a month and a half. Goes back to my point earlier why being a fan of, of hockey in general is so great because even if your team's done, there's some other team who's making a looking to make an acquisition or an offseason roster move and, and there's always something to look forward to and be excited about no matter if your team's still in the hunt or not. You're talking about Kyle Turris. Uh, one thing I did want to pick up, I didn't didn't notice this, but Craig Custance actually has him number seven on his trade board. Yeah, the, uh, the, what was it, trade bait? Because I know, uh, I think PK was high up on that list too, maybe at number five, I believe, or maybe three. Well, how high was it? He is number two. Number two. Wow. Here's what Craig Custance says about PK Subin. Changes are expected in Nashville this summer following the disappointing playoff series lost at Dallas. And Subin's name is at the center of speculation. Let's be honest, his name is always at the center of speculation. As soon as we got him, they were talking about trading him from Nashville. And he said there are a couple reasons why. Because like we said, the topic often comes up of, of too much PK. And one NHL scout said, I don't have him as a top two defenseman. How do you not have him as a top two defenseman? He's very good at his game. Yeah, I don't know. In the playoffs... He seems to play even better, though, like than the regular season. So that is my argument. I, I think during the playoffs, he elevates his level to a, I mean, just it's incredible because you go back to the 2016 Cup run, he was a shutdown defenseman in every series on route to the Cup final. He was. Um, his course, he was out, I mean, off the charts. He also looked really good, too, in this first round against Dallas. So, I'm a little hesitant on trading PK because he is such a I mean quality playoff defenseman, but like I said, with that contract, he would definitely garner a very high return, like I said before, maybe a dry sidle or a marner. So it, it is <laughs> Polio is going to have some very difficult decisions in this offseason. Well, one decision we know he did make today was that the Preds acquired Connor Ingram from the Tampa Bay Lightning for a seventh-round pick in 2021. So that adds some goalie depth to it, and I'm sure we will see him at development camp when it comes up soon. Yeah, I could see him potentially making his way on up to Milwaukee. That seemed like a Milwaukee trade, but probably not going to be taking a Peck or Saros' place anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Gover says Connor Ingram is 22 years old, and he was a former standout with Blazer Hockey, and he was Tampa's third-round pick in the 2016 draft, and he was at one point 
one of the AHL's best goaltenders last season. And speaking of the development camp, they actually have set the dates for that now. So that is June the 25th through the 29th. So we get to see all the future stars, which include Ellie Tolvanen, Dante Fabro, and Rem Pitlick. Those are some of the headliners. Um, it is going to be quite the show. You actually can come out and watch it. Uh, I think they're going to be at Bridgestone Arena, Centennial Sportsplex on certain days. It looks like the Future Stars game is going to be at the Ford Ice Center in Antioch on Saturday, June the 29th at 7 p.m. So that might be one that everyone wants to come out and see. I am going to see if I can make this. And I know we also got our uh, preseason schedule, too. I noticed we had our annual uh, doubleheader with Florida again. Yes, yeah, so it's crazy to me that I'm already reading games from next season. But, uh, yes, the schedule is now set. So Monday, September the 16th, it is the Florida Panthers doubleheader. If you want to come join that one at 3.30 p.m. start time and then again at 7. So you just sit in your same seat and keep it warm and you get two games for one. It's not a bad deal. Um, then we go to Amali Arena. Friday, September the 20th against the Lightning. Uh, the next day will be against the Lightning at Bridgestone at 7 p.m. And then we have a stint with the Hurricanes on Wednesday, September the 25th. And Friday, September the 27th, rounding it out at PNC Arena. So in total, you're technically getting four games at home, but really three because one's a two-for-one combo. I did one of those games uh, a couple of years ago, and I've done one at the uh, Amelie Arena, which was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, a, it's more like a social event, I, I would feel like, than a, than a game, because you're kind of like, you still need food in between, because you got to get like dinner, but you're kind of like walking around stuff and chatting with people that you might not have seen for a while for a game. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a fun environment, but it's a two-for-one game, so cannot complain at all. I will say, uh, going to one of those preseason games in Tampa, do not recommend having your jersey on until you're actually in the arena because you will die of heat stroke. Yeah, uh, it's still quite toasty probably in September in Tampa. I'll be in Tampa in a couple of weeks, so it's going to be quite warm, though. You should stop by the arena. I am going to. That's on the agenda. I will be in uh, Tampa and St. Petersburg for a day, so I will get to scope out that area. So, Matt, for our final episode, do you have any milestones or anything we can take with us into the offseason? Yeah, I've got a couple news items I will mention here as we wrap up. Uh, it's already time. Like we said, just because the Preds are done and the uh, NHL season is over, it doesn't mean uh, hockey is really off the table because Philly has already started tooling up for next season. They have acquired Kevin Hayes from Winnipeg in exchange for a fifth-round pick. I think that's kind of low for him, but what do I know? Um, <clears throat> just interesting to see. And in addition uh, – they have also reportedly offered him a long-term deal to the tune of like seven years for $6 million per. I didn't know that uh, $6 million a year salary is what a fifth-round player goes for these days, but uh, I don't know. Pretty interesting. And they also uh, got Matt Niskanen from Washington in exchange for Radko Gudis. I believe that's a one-for-one one trade. So, And he's going to be on the same team with Tom Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, the Islanders have extended Jordan Eberle uh, to a five-year, $5.5 million deal as he was a pending UFA. So they're going to go ahead and tie up some loose ends on their part. And the competition committee met the other day and they discussed a couple possible changes in the rules. Most notably was the tiebreaker change. Uh, it will probably be the based off wins and regulation and not wins and regulation in OT. So they're cutting the OT part as the tiebreaker off. So it's just uh, regulation it's going to be. I'm okay with that. Yeah, pretty interesting. It gives weight to teams that can get it done early, and that's going to be interesting. It seems to be that was the that was the consensus. That interesting choice, uh, probably for the better. And uh, did I see some of them possibly doing some expanded video review? Yes, they mentioned that as well. That's very likely to happen. In addition to that, so a couple things going on. We'll have to see how uh, to what extent in the future. And to end the show, I'll give a final hat tip as a milestone for my boys, Daniel Chara now is the only player in NHL history to have 14 Game 7s under his belt. Unfortunately, it came out on the wrong end of that this time around, though. Yeah, he's now 6-8 and eight in Game 7s. But that's quite good, considering he did play with multiple fractured bones in his jaw. So yeah. 
only mouth hockey was, players. Mouth was wired shut. Yeah, couldn't talk. He was writing down responses to reporters. In, That's in the pretty awesome. Yeah, he's a man. <laughs> yeah, <so>. yeah. <laughs> I, I actually said that too. Like as the line was, I was like, man, he is a just a beast of a man because he's like six seven. He's like over seven foot with with the skates on. He's towering above everyone. He's got a giant beard. He's got his jaw wired shut, and he's playing hockey. And he, uh, like, yeah. That's one thing I'll say. You know the. The basketball was going on, and they they have to have them carried off the court if they sprain their ankle. But you got guys on the ice skating with broken jaws, and, and Ryan O'Reilly has had cracked ribs since the second round, and he still won the Conn Smythe. So yeah, Pasta had like a groin injury though. Like, but almost everyone is yeah. like slightly banged up at this point in the season. But it's just it's mind boggling what they're playing through and still getting hit hard. Oh yeah, because like I said, you know you got the regular seasons one level, and then playoffs just ramps up a level. So as we get ready to shut it down, we want to say congratulations to Samantha Gardner. She was the winner of our Preds jersey. And we also did have a winner of our gift card. It was not the person we thought it was, was it, Daniel? No, it was actually a co-worker from work, so congratulations to Michael. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, the improbable blues pick ended up winning it all. I'm actually just kind of glad uh, your wife didn't win, Matt, because <laughs> she had the Sharks. And I was like, wow, if she lucks her way into the win. Yeah, it was other than the Sharks being super lucky, like, yeah, I didn't think that was going anywhere, which our brackets were basically just bonfire. I'm sitting here looking at mine right now. It's the Blues were the only redeeming thing on my bracket. So that's what that's what pulled me out in the win in our pool anyway. So, yeah, I'm um, looking at mine here. Yeah, but one of the only few games I did not scratch off wrong was the Blues. Yeah, you basically got like two points. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you at the bottom. My guys, thank you so much for joining us this season. Like I said, this is our final episode of season two. Come October, we will be doing season three. And we've got some changes to work on our studio this offseason. So until then, guys, you have a great offseason. And we'll see you next time. Take it away, Rachel. You've been listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. Powered by the Ingram Agency. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Penalty Box Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.